the United States of America has to be one of, if not the most mobile societies in the history of the world. I can remember back in my childhood, 20 years ago, when my father used to leave our home in the morning and drive over 30 miles into New York City. You drive down County Line Road in Amityville, jump on the Southern State Parkway, and head into New York City every day. 30 miles, more than 30 miles, one way. 30 miles is more than some people have traveled in their entire lifetimes in some parts of the world. And certainly, a few centuries ago, more than many people traveled in their entire lives. And in fact, going back that far, how long would it take people to go 30 miles? A couple of days, a day? Unless you maybe happen to be close to a train. But what about before a train? If you had a horse, you might do it. If not, you had to walk. That could take a while to go 30 miles, just 30 miles. And yet my father did that every morning. And by the way, he came home every night, another 30 plus miles. So over 60 miles in one day and thought nothing of it. We are a mobile society and have been for a long, long time. Many of you, all of you, I should say, go somewhere every day. We're all going somewhere. We're all mobile. Some of you travel to your jobs every day, and some travel a long distance. My son travels almost an hour every day to his job. His wife, close to the same. Others of you travel distances to get to your work. Matt covers more ground in a day than my father did. Going from company to hospital to be a sales representative, traveling sometimes, what, hundreds of miles a day, if not more? Sometimes less, maybe? But he travels all the time, going here and going there. Some of you ladies take your children to school. You travel to Publix. You travel to CVS. And they're miles, and you think nothing of it. It takes a few minutes. You just do it. We're all going somewhere. We jump in our... Do you know... I was going to say we jump in our cars and we head to Grandma's house. Do you know the average reason a person buys a particular car? It's for that trip to Grandma's house. Or to mom's house. I mean, that's the reason. Well, let's see. Will our stuff fit in the trunk? They, they buy a car based upon how they can get their family here and there, and particularly to those visits to the family. And some of you travel, sometimes a half hour, sometimes several hours, to visit grandma. And we're grateful that you do. But we are all going somewhere, every day, all the time. Some of you may just walk through your neighborhoods, cross the fence, talk to the man next door, but we're all going somewhere.
When you get there, to wherever it is you're going, you hobnob with your fellow employees, with your boss, with your co-workers, with your classmates, with your neighbors, with your family. You're all going somewhere, and when you get there, you're all talking, communicating, rubbing shoulders. We are all on our way somewhere. I keep saying that, and there's a reason. Turn in your Bibles, please, to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 28, as we continue our look at the ongoing work of the resurrected Savior. For the past several weeks, we have been studying the accounts in the Scriptures of what Jesus taught His disciples following His resurrection from the dead and prior to His ascension into heaven. Those 40 days between the time that He was raised from the dead before He ascended back into heaven. We looked several weeks ago at his meeting with the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. That's the account in the Gospel of John. You may recall that it was there that he spoke to Peter and restored Peter to his usefulness and his service as a shepherd in the kingdom of God. That happened after his resurrection, but prior to his ascension. We also took a look at what the Apostle Paul had to say about what Jesus did at that time from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So we looked at the, uh, his appearance on the shore and his appearances as reported by Paul in 1 Corinthians 15. And we are currently looking at what we have called his appearance on the mount because that's where this takes place in Matthew 28. It is the only occasion in Matthew's Gospel that Jesus appears risen to His disciples. Some of the other Gospels have other accounts, some I've already mentioned. But here's the only one in the Gospel of Matthew. In this chapter, He's raised from the dead, and here He appears to His disciples. We know that it happened on the mount. And we made the point as we looked at this occasion that it may well have been that time that Paul spoke of in 1 Corinthians 15 when he met with more than 500 at one time. Because this is the only time that Jesus told them that he would be there and meet with them. And you know they wanted to be there. And so did the ladies. And so did the other followers. So this may be the time when he met with more than 500 in one occasion here at the Mount. But we also looked at this text, and if you would please follow down to verse 16, but the, and this includes and in what we will go on to see today what we call the Great Commission. But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had designated. They knew where He was going to be. That's what we just said. When they saw Him, what did they do? They worshipped Him. They worshipped Him. The disciples, the apostles, worshipped Jesus. And we talked a little bit about what worship is. People, worship is not waving arms around or falling on the floor and stuff like that. Worship is a bowing before, reverence to, 
the holy God. We looked at what the word meant. We saw examples and illustrations of it from the scriptures. It is a reverence and an awe for the living God. The frivolity that takes place in churches today is an abomination to God. For there's little or no awe or reverence for who He truly is as King of kings and Lord of lords. I digress. It says that some were doubtful. Another reason why we believe that there would have been far more than just the disciples here because the disciples would not have been doubtful. They had already seen him in parallel passages in other Gospels. They had already seen him as the risen Lord. They weren't doubting anymore. They knew who he was. And then it says, and Jesus came up and spoke to them. So Jesus drew near to particularly his disciples. And we made the point that Jesus draws near to us as his disciples. What a great thought that the King of kings and Lord of lords would come to you, draw near to you, and speak to you. And that's what he does. He does so in his word. And he came and drew near to the disciples. Now we've focused a lot on what he says next in verse 18. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And so here he is. The resurrected Son of God. Standing before the disciples. Saying, I am the sovereign God. I am the all-powerful and the mighty God. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And we dealt with that whole statement of what it means for him to be ruler in heaven, of the heavenly host and of the universe, and what it means for him to be the ruler even on earth. Ruler of the earth itself as he sends his reign and his son upon the righteous and the unrighteous, and rulers even in the hearts and lives of men and women, and rulers in the hearts of kings and nations. He is the King of all kings, the Lord of all lords. Capital K King, small k King. He's the capital K, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That's what he's telling his disciples in this text. And then he says, with that in your hearts and in your minds, go Therefore, remember the last time we spoke about this, when you see a therefore, you have to ask what it's there for. The therefore in verse 19 connects back to what he just told them in verse 18. In light of this, actually it says, be gone. In light of this, you should already be gone. In light of this, go. And we made the point, and I want to make it again today, that what Jesus is saying here is not what some have made it out to be over the years. This is not a command. This is not the focus of the verse or the command of the text when he says, Go, therefore. It is a verb, 
but we made the point that it is a verb used as an adjective. And those of you who know your English know that that is a participle. And what this does is convey action. It conveys a continuous action. And so it would be correctly translated as, as you are going. Now, do you know what I was talking about when I said my father drove 30 miles every day? And how you go somewhere every day? All of us are going somewhere. All of us are traveling somewhere. And when we get there, we're all talking to people. That's the thought. As you are going, wherever you go, wherever it is you're on your way to, I hope you get there safe, but when you get there, that's the focus of the verse. The command is not go. He's saying, as you're going, in light of what I've told you, as you're going, in light of what I told you, here's what you are to do. And this is the command of the verse. This is the focus of the verse. Make disciples. That's the command. That's the focus of what our Lord is saying. That is his command. The call is not to go. We're always going. The call is that when you get there, make disciples. This is what he's commanding them to do. Now, once again, I said this the last time. I don't want to weary you with a language lesson. But in order to know what Jesus is saying, I'm afraid I have to at least touch on the Greek. We kind of have to understand what this word, make disciples, means from the Greek and what he's saying from the Greek. Because when you look at it in the original language, you get a little bit better understanding of what he's telling his disciples to do on the mount right here in front of them. I'm the risen Lord. I'm the King of kings, the Lord of lords. I am the ruler of all things. All authority has been given to me. In light of that, go, and here is what you are supposed to do. Now, if you look at the text, you will notice that the text reads, make disciples. But in the Greek, it's only one word. The Greek word comes from the root, mathetuo. And what it basically means is to instruct. It basically means to teach. And that's why if some of you have a King James Version, the King James Version reads right here, Go therefore, teach all nations. Because that's what the word mathetuo really means, to teach. And it carries the thought of teaching others what I have taught you. That's what Jesus is telling them. Go, wherever you're going, in light of me being the King of kings and Lord of lords, teach that to others. Instruct others with that truth. That's what he's telling them. Remember, they had been with Jesus for three over three years. And what did they see during that time? They saw Jesus turn water into wine. 
They saw Jesus raise a paralytic on a pallet that was lowered through the roof, probably a Peter's house, right in front of him. And he tells that man, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the Sadducees get all mad. Who is this man who can forgive sins? Only God can forgive sins. And he knew what they were thinking, so he says to the man, to show that I have the authority to forgive sins, get up! And the paralytic gets up. And he takes his pallet and he goes. They saw that. You know, that didn't just astound the Pharisees. That astounded the disciples. As it ought to astound us. They were on the boat with Jesus when the storm came in and blew and rocked the boat and they were so afraid. Experienced fishermen. This was their livelihood for some of them. Experienced fishermen. Afraid that they were going to perish and sink because of what we call a nor'easter coming in on the Sea of Galilee or the Sea of Tiberias, same sea. Experienced fishermen, afraid they were going to lose their lives. Wake him up, because he was asleep. Lord, don't you care that we're perishing? What did he do? Remember? He rebuked the winds and the seas, and they obeyed him, and it became perfectly calm. And what did the disciples say? Who is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? Who is it? It is none other than the God-man Jesus. God come in the flesh who can control the winds and the waves. They saw this. Some of them saw him transfigured when he became bright like lightning. In front of their eyes, a bit of his glory came out, and they saw it. They saw him feed the multitudes, heal the sick, raise Lazarus from the dead. They saw it. And so Jesus is saying, go. Therefore, in light of all you've learned, tell others. Instruct others. Teach others. Others, all that you have seen and heard, all that I have taught you, teach others. Here I am, standing before you, the resurrected Christ from the dead. Teach them that. Not only did they see him heal, not only did they see him calm the winds and the waves, not only did they see him raise the dead, They saw him raised from the dead. They knew he was dead. And yet here he is, standing in front of them, right now, right here, in this passage. And so he says, in light of this, as you're going, instruct others. Teach others what you have learned. Teach others what you're seeing right now. A man who was dead, raised, standing in front of you. And they did. They went forth and they taught of the resurrected Christ. They went forth and told others that he was the Messiah, the true God, the King of kings. They told men. They told men everywhere that he was sovereign and as such, the God who can genuinely help. 
Why don't people understand that the Jesus of the Bible, the God of the Bible, has all might, all strength, all power, all authority, and therefore is able to save you from your sins, to redeem your very soul, to give you eternal life. They don't want to see it. They don't want to hear it. But this is the God of the Bible. Not a measly, milk toast. The all-powerful God. Because as God, He is able to deliver men from their sins and then give eternal life. So many people are involved in all these health gimmicks and all these vitamins and all you gotta have this diet and that diet and you gotta if you're not doing this you're gonna it's gonna add five years to your life if you do this and this is gonna add five years to your life if you do this and if you do all those things you live forever which is a lie but if you believe in Christ you do live forever eternal life from the God who is God. This is what the disciples told men. This is what the disciples taught, that there's a new heaven and a new earth. And that's what we have right here. Jesus himself did not write any of this. But the disciples did. Disciples wrote Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Luke, I should say, was not one of the apostles. But he wrote the Gospel of Luke. He was a doctor, a friend of Paul. This is what we have, their testimony, teaching you, teaching me. And so he says to them, as you're going in light of who I am, teach others. And they did. You know what else they've taught and recorded in the scriptures? What seems to be, you can't say this in churches today, that he's going to be the judge. That if you don't believe in him, the eternity will not be in glory and in paradise. It will be in hell. Now, that's not just me saying that, a pastor in a church in Pasco County. That is what Jesus taught over and over again. Many times, Jesus warned men to flee the wrath of God, to repent, lest you are cast into hell. The passage that he dealt with in Luke, where he talked about the rich man and Lazarus, Lazarus being the poor beggar, and they both die. And Lazarus wakes up in the bosom of Abraham in glory. But the rich man comes to his senses and he's in agony in hell, in torment. Who taught that? Jesus did. This is the teaching of our Lord. And we need to teach people that they are in danger of judgment. So the beauty of his salvation will be evident. Why would people want to be saved if they don't even realize they're lost? The gospel teaches men that we're lost without God and without hope. 
And our only hope is Jesus, the true Savior, who showed that He was such right here as He was resurrected from the dead. Go and teach. And they did. They were to teach what He taught them. Doctrines, ordinances, truth. What does the average church want today? Doctrine? <laughs> not, not a chance. The average church today wants entertainment. The average church today wants tradition. The average church today wants to feel good, to be happy, to go out. Boy, that was encouraging, and I'm really happy. But what Jesus said was teach them truth. Teach them doctrine. I say to you on my own personal experience and the pastoral experience that I've had over the years, the feel good that you get from entertainment will not do you much good when you face a serious trial. When you find out that you have cancer, what is that feel good that you get out of entertainment going to do you? When somebody in your family is taken away, what is that going to do you? You need truth. You need doctrine. You need what Jesus showed his disciples and teaches us in his word. That he is sovereign and powerful and he can help. And that he can bring you peace that passes all understanding. This is what Jesus is teaching. This is the command. This is the focus of the verse. Not go. We're always going. It's make disciples. And actually the word in the Greek is disciple. Go therefore disciple. Teach. Instruct. Tell people. What I would like to do now is to make sure that we understand that there is a twofold meaning in what he's saying to them here. Yes, it's instruct but also unquestionably is implied, first of all, that they were to make converts. It's not just make converts, but yes, it is to make converts. That's why the term disciple is used. It is to instruct men that they would become disciples. Now, the word disciple carries several meanings when it is used in the New Testament. Sometimes it's just a follower. Just someone who is kind of going along following Jesus. You see that on several occasions. Remember when he fed the multitudes and then crossed the sea with the disciples and they came looking for him. This is John chapter 6. And he says to them, you're not looking for me for the spiritual reality of who I am. You're just looking for me because you got fed and you want more food. Those were just followers. And there were a lot of those. In fact, in that same chapter, many of them stopped following him because he said some things that were difficult for them to understand and they didn't follow him anymore. And that's when he said to his disciples, will you leave me too? You remember what I'm talking about there. Those are just followers. You might call those churchgoers today. People that just go to church, put in their hour in the morning or now Saturday night or whenever, they put in their time for Jesus so that they can go out fishing on Sunday and not have to worry about it. 
Once they're done, they're done. It doesn't affect their lives. It doesn't reflect in their lives. Those are just followers, just churchgoers. Sometimes that's the word disciple in the Bible, but not usually. Usually the word disciple in the New Testament depicts the Christian, someone who has been saved, someone who has genuinely seen Christ for who he is, been saved by his grace, and then becomes a devout follower. Not just a a follower, not just a churchgoer, but a devout, given my life to him, follower. That's oftentimes what the word disciple means in the Bible. So, unquestionably here, Jesus is telling them, you are to make converts, disciples. Look back to chapter 3 of the same gospel. But let's look at chapter 4. I'm running out of time. Matthew chapter 4, Matthew 4, verse 17. This is after he's been tempted in the wilderness. And it says, from that time, Jesus began to preach. Keep that in your minds. Preach and say, repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Something we mentioned just a few minutes ago. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You see that word repent? What does that mean? Well, the the actual meaning in the Greek is to have a change of mind that results in a change of your life. But what is that? It's be converted. And many actually translate this, be converted, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So Jesus definitely taught that men needed to come to their senses, see their sin, repent from it, and follow him. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But I want to see a clearer passage. If you would, turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 8. Gospel of John, chapter 8. You ask yourselves, The question may be put out, how are people saved? How are men saved? And people would say sometimes, well, they go to church, by going to church. And a lot of people say people are saved by the church. They're saved at church. And they come down an aisle and they're saved. And and that's how they get saved. They get saved at the church. They're saved by the church. That's not what they're saved by. They're saved by a preacher's preaching who gives arm-twisting invitations. Come down the aisle. If you don't come down the aisle, you love the devil. If you don't come down the aisle and get saved, the devil has hold of you. Come down and be saved. I went to a sermon one time. It was a good man, actually. It was quite a while ago, but it was in Phoenix, Arizona. And he gave a pretty good message. Really, it was a darn good message. And then he spent 20 minutes telling people to come forward and be saved. And he actually said things like I just said. If you don't come forward, you love the devil. Stuff like that. And I'm going, he just ruined everything else he said. Come forward. Come to Jesus. How many here love your mother? Raise your hand. I see those hands. You're all going to heaven now. You all made a decision for Jesus. That's not how people are saved. Jesus tells us right here in this chapter how these people are saved. Verse 32. I'm purposefully skipping verse 31. We'll be there next week. 
and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. It is truth that sets men free. God's truth. God's word. This is exactly what he was telling the disciples to tell others. The truth. The truth of who he is. The truth of who God is. The truth of who they are in light of God as sinners in need of salvation. Because it is truth that sets men free. Now it makes sense, doesn't it? Go therefore, tell the truth. Because it's truth that sets men free. You know why this church focuses on the Bible? Because we love people and want to see them saved. I don't tell many jokes or stories. We focus on the Word of God, comparing Scripture with Scripture. And the reason we do that is because we want to see people saved. The other reason is next week. (laughs) Which is the other part of what it means to disciple. But first of all, it does include seeing men saved. Truth sets men free. Not tradition, not homilies, stories, jokes, entertainment. Truth sets men free. Again, let me ask you, who said that? Jesus said that. It isn't even the Apostle Paul, yet it's Jesus. It certainly isn't me, it's Jesus. Truth sets men free. Free from the ravages of sin. Free from the condemnation of the law. Free from the penalty of sin, which is hell and judgment. Free from the wrath of God. What does it mean to be saved? Everybody says it all the time. We spent a whole sermon on that in our series on forgiveness. What does it mean to be saved? Oh, I'm saved, I'm saved. What does that mean? Saved from the wrath of God. Saved from the wrath of God. That's what salvation is. Salvation is being saved from the wrath of God. And it is truth that sets you free from the wrath of God and makes you a child of God and one who is able to say to Him, Abba, Father, my God, my Father. Truth sets men free. Do you have this transforming truth? In your life. Has this truth transformed you from a regular person? Oh, I'm a good person. I'm a good lady. I'm a good guy. To a follower of Christ. Dedicated. Believing. Going to church. Yes. That doesn't make you saved. But it's in evidence. Do you have this life transforming truth? Do you hunger for truth? You know, one of the ways I can always tell when people are are saved 
Christians want to hear more truth. Christians want to hear the Word of God. They don't go, ah, it's noon. Stop. i got to get to Denny's. <laughs> Does anybody say that? <laughs> In all seriousness, I have pastored churches where if you went past noon, people were mad. Christians want truth. I've had people tell me, keep preaching, preacher, keep going. I don't care what time it is, but I do, I care. I know we have kids in the nursery and all that. But we do love truth. And so we love the preaching of God's Word, the truth of God's Word. Is that you? Is that characteristic of you, that you love God's truth? that you want more of it, that you come to church hungry for it, that you hate going to a church that isn't given it. Do you have that truth, that transforming truth? This is exactly what Paul taught in Romans chapter 10. Look there if you would again, please. We read it a little while ago. I just want to talk a little bit about what he says here. Romans chapter 10. Now we picked up the reading here from verse 8 where he speaks of the word of faith which, notice what he says, we are preaching that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as what? Lord. How is it that some people think that you can have him as Savior and not Lord? We dealt with that when we looked at Matthew 28, 18, where he said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. So whether you think he's Lord or not doesn't really matter. Because he is. He is Lord. And here Paul is saying that if you believe indeed that he is the Lord, if you confess that He is the Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, that's how you're saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. You see, there is evidence. Evidence in the life of somebody who's saved. They're going to start talking about Jesus. There's evidence. For the Scripture said, whoever believes in Him will not be disappointed. Verse 13, whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now verse 14. How then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in Him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? Let your minds rush back to Matthew 28, 19. Go therefore, instruct. Go therefore, teach. How will they believe if they haven't heard? As you are going, teach. As you are going, instruct. Verse 15, how will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm a preacher. 
to what God has called me to do. But I did not jump up one day and say to myself, I think I'm going to be a preacher. I feel the calling. I feel like I ought to do it. What happened to me is what is talked about in this text. I did not want to be a preacher. My wife can attest to this. A need was raised in the church that I was attending for someone to preach in rescue missions. And my comment was, I hope they get someone. I didn't want to do it. But the elders in that church recognized in me the gifts and the graces and the abilities of someone who was called to preach the gospel. And they encouraged me to do this, to see, indeed, if that is the direction God would have me to go. Because you notice in the text that it says, how will they preach, this is verse 15, unless they are sent. It's not unless they go, because we're all going. Of course, now he's talking about elders now. He's talking about pastors. But it's they are sent. You look at the even when they separated the Apostle Paul to go out and preach. The Spirit made it evident to them. This is the way a good under-shepherd, a true under-shepherd, a true pastor is to become a pastor. It's recognized by the church that he has the gifts and the graces and the abilities and they send him. But here's what I really want to see. What does he do when they send him? I'm going to share with you today. I'm going to sing the gospel to you today. I'm going to do drama and jokes to bring you the gospel today. What does it say? They preach. They come and proclaim the word of God with power and authority. You know, that's the difference between Jesus and the scribes and the Pharisees. He came to them with the word of God with authority, and people knew it. First time I ever heard a preacher preach with authority, I knew it. It was so different from what I had ever heard. And Al Martin rumbled and preached and told everyone what the word of God says. Thus saith the Lord. That's what a preacher does. Whitfield preached, thus saith the Lord. And I believe that's what preachers are supposed to do. I'm sorry if I offend you or make you nervous or if I'm too loud or too long. That's what I believe a preacher is supposed to do. Preach the word. There is an absolute lack of of biblical preaching in our day. I went to a church last week. God love them. I love the people. But every time I go there, and I said this to my wife and some of the men on Wednesday, there's just no power from the Word of God. The disciples were told by Jesus to go and instruct 
And that translated to those who are instructors to preach. And I'll take up with that more next week. I've already gone too far today. But this is what Paul says that they will preach. And I suppose that you might ask, well, what truth? What what is truth? That's what Pilate asked Jesus. What is truth? We're supposed to teach the truth. They're supposed to preach the truth. What is truth? Your church has truth. My church has truth. Who knows? Who cares? What is truth? Look what he says. Verse 15. How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good things. However, they did not heed the good news. For Isaiah said, Lord, who has believed our report? So, in light of that, Faith comes from hearing, and hearing, what? The word of Christ. Faith comes from hearing, and hearing the word of Christ. And some say the word of God. Faith comes from hearing, and hearing the word of God. Because this is the word of God, the infallible, inspired Word of God. And the Word of God points toward the Son of God. It's the Word of God, but it's about the Son of God. So it's the Word of God or the Word of Christ. It is the truth. This is the truth they are supposed to teach. This is the truth that results in faith. Faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of Christ. Just as Jesus said, it is truth that sets men free. This is what Jesus was telling the disciples back in our text. If you go back to Matthew 28, He's telling the the disciples here, He says in verse 18, All authority has been given to Me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore, disciple, instruct, teach men about me. And the first part of that is that you will make converts. Because it is truth that sets men free. The truth about Jesus, the truth about God that sets men free. How sad it is that in many churches... The Bibles are maybe read and put to the side of the pulpit. Maybe they'll flash a verse on a screen or something. But this is our greatest weapon against sin, our greatest weapon against Satan, and our greatest help to being godly men and women. And it's sadly not even being used in churches and in homes. We are to preach the truth. We are to teach the truth. We are to use the truth in our lives. And I say to you, on the authority of the Word of God, that any church that is not using the Bible is not a true church. Now you might think that that's harsh, but next week I'll prove it. Stay tuned. We'll open up what it means next week to make disciples, not just converts, 
but disciples. Not just churchgoers, but followers of Christ. Through thick and thin. Followers of Christ who have the joy of Him in their lives. You only get that as you're discipled in His Word. Gosh, how we love His Word. How it means so much to us. Thank you, God, for your word. Let's pray.